This podcast number 819 with Carter Phipps is brought to you by Peter Kazutoy, author of a new book entitled Honest to Greatness, How Today's Greatest Leaders Use Brutal Honesty to Achieve Massive Success. In this interview, Peter and Greg talk about hundreds of leaders of companies that are using strategic honesty to create organizations that are excelling in sales, attracting new talents, and building cultures that are rewarding and fulfilling to work for. If you want to learn what it takes to move your organization to becoming honest and working from a place of conscious capitalism, then you are going to want to listen to this interview. To learn more about this book, Peter's coaching, and to take the no-cost quiz to determine your honesty type, please visit his website at www.peterkozodoy.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-K-O-Z-O-D-O-Y.com. Now, for a featured podcast, I hope you enjoy this informative interview with Carter Phipps about the book Conscious Leadership. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. Joining us from Denver, Colorado today is Carter Phelps. And Carter has, and he was on the show before, but he has a new book out, and it's called Conscious Leadership. And John McKay, Steve McIntosh, and Carter all wrote this book. Many of my listeners are going to know that John McKay is the founder of Whole Foods, uh, now an Amazon company. So um, lots of changes. But I love it. Elevating humanity through business. Good day to you, Carter. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Nice to be on the show. Well, it's a pleasure having you here, and it's a pleasure spending some time with you again. You're back. Your last book, Evolutionaries, was that's right. Yeah, really uh, a great book as well. And I'm Thank glad you. that you're continuing to author and stay out there. I know you got a lot of things going in your life. Yeah. Let- Next time, maybe not six years between books. It's going to be shorter time. So we'll be, we'll, we'll see sooner. We'll see. You know, I, I think uh, I have a good idea for a guest for your show. Actually, he's out <laughs> okay, of great. Salina, Kansas. It's the Green New Deal. I think you should, you should interview him. All right. But I want to tell our listeners a bit about you because many of them aren't going to know. Carter Phelps is the author, speaker, thought leader, or works at the intersection of business, personal development, and culture. His books include Conscious Leadership, which is the one we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. He co-authored with uh, John McKay, Steve McIntosh, but Evolutionaries we did back in 2012, which you just said. It's been quite a while. Um, He hosts uh, Thinking Ahead podcast. Love the name. That's a great name. And is co-founder and managing director of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, a social policy think tank. And as I said, he lives in Denver. Well, you know, this book is so needed in this time. And I'm going to tell my listeners, go Mm -hmm. out and get a copy, whether it's a Kindle version or it's a hardback version here. Uh, It's a great book. And it weaves in, I think, the thoughts of all of these great leaders, including Carter, John, Steve. Mm -hmm. But Carter, you know, you pose a question in the foreword of the book that asks the reader, and I think it's really an important one, Mm -hmm. um, how can they become a more effective leader and also be the best version of themselves? I think the key there is the best version of themselves. Um, We've seen a lot of dubious leadership in this country, uh, (laughs) to say the least. Um, And and I'm being very kind about the way I put that. And I think in today's world, leaders that need to step up are leaders that can make a difference, have high integrity, um, and are impassioned um, by what it is they're doing. What advice would you and your other co-authors, if we were all sitting here together, give listeners out there today that are head of corporations or they're head of teams uh, or they're, you know, as far as that goes, they're head of baseball teams, whatever it might be, right? <laughs> whatever they're leading, but, right? But whatever they're leading to actually understand what it's more like to be a conscious leader. Well, that's a great question. And I think, I think that the, the essential message of the book at its most foundational is, is, a, is a sort of invitation. 
it's sort of saying, okay, you know, a challenge to leaders out there. And with it, again, like you said, whatever, you know, even in business at any level of business, but really beyond business too. Look, this applies to nonprofits. This applies to governmental organizations. This applies to, like you said, if you're leading your little league team, it applies to that too. I really believe it does. To, to, to start a journey, to go on the journey and a journey of learning and growth and development and to start to really consciously reflect on what it means to be the best version of yourself and to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And to start down that journey, so there, there are occasionally people who are going to be just nat- they're born leaders or naturally, they're genetically, whatever, whatever it is, they're going to, there will be natural leaders. We, we open the book with a story about Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, Lincoln may not have had to, he, I don't know, I don't know what he was like personally, but, but he was obviously a natural leader uh, and, and was ex- an extraordinary leader. But for the rest of us, we need to we need to start on that journey of consciously considering how we can improve, how we can become the kind of leaders that we'd like to be, how we can become the best version of our, of ourselves. And so the book is, uh, is, is, is an invitation to, to step on that journey. And then we try to provide everything we can to help leaders along on that journey. Yeah. And how, you know, this is a question kind of off the bar, but, you know, leaders are posed and put in positions to make really important decisions. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to rely on their staff and team to pull those um, facts together. Yeah, sure. And then they're the ones that have to pull the trigger, you know, on right. a decision. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for somebody that's is pulling a team together to get really good data so that the decisions they make are kind of the best that they can make? Well, that's a great question too. And there's a whole chapter actually on that about how you interacting with, interacting with a team, always upgrade the team and upgrading the team doesn't mean hiring, just mean hiring and firing. Obviously you want to get the best people you can around you, but it means how you interact with them, how you, you know, part of great leadership is not just being great oneself or making great decisions oneself. It's being able to interact with other people in ways that brings out the best in them. Because, you know, you don't get very far in the business world or really in almost any world without realizing that you can only go so far yourself, right? I mean, you, right. you have to find a way to empower other people and also help them make, be creative, help them make great decisions, and also be able to understand, be able to create environments where people can thrive. You know, if it's all about you, there's just, you're going to be limited. And, and yeah, there, there's a, you know, there are occasional leaders like a Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or something that have extraordinary visions and they're just powerful personalities and they're just going to like, and nothing's going to stop them. But for the rest of us to be, to create great organizations, we need more than our own vision. We need other, we need other people to contribute. So we have to find ways to empower people around us. I mean, that's just such a critical aspect of leadership. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but you know, we are really the collective consciousness of the, the whole mass of people that are around us. And so that collective imagination, that collective yeah. consciousness is really what evolves into what that company becomes. Or yeah. And that how far it goes. Bec- exactly. Right. Exactly. And it is, again, you know, you're talking about a conscious leader. I'm talking about the collective consciousness of all the people yeah, inside right. the organization right. that make up the leadership. So it's not just yes. one person at the top. Exactly. It's exactly. everybody. Now, John tells a great story about his journey with Whole Foods, one where he was asked to step up and become a conscious leader. Uh, this was by some people on the board, actually. Can you relay this little story and what was being required of him uh, to evolve into this conscious leader at that time? Because it's a good story because it's a true story about somebody who was actually involved in the writing of this book. Sure. And, and he, well, this is a story that happened to Whole Foods and I don't think it's been told publicly before, but probably you know, it, not because it's the first time I heard it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And, and he was, so this is in the dot com era when he had sort of left the company, he had, he had temporarily stepped aside as CEO to, to start this sort of dot com 
uh, Whole People was going to be called Startup that was going to expand Whole Foods uh, empire in some way into other areas. And it was in the dot-com era and everyone was excited about those right. things. So it was going to whole people.com and, and he was going to, you know, he was sort of, he, you know, John's a very creative innovator type of person and he was excited about this new venture. And so he let someone else, he sort of stepped aside and someone else began, was doing the day, running the day-to-day whole foods at that time. And this venture, when you know that that was the end of the dot com era, when everything sort of crashed eventually, and so the venture was troubled, and it it didn't really uh, get off the ground, and that's a story in and of itself. But so he went back, and by this time, the guy who had the person who had replaced him or who had stepped in to fill his shoes at mm-hmm. Whole Foods was wanted to run Whole Foods, wanted to force him out, and so he had to reflect, and they had you know the, there's a the book takes you through the story of what happened and they had the board ultimately had to decide who was going to take the company forward. But for John, I think it was a moment to reflect on why that had happened and on his own responsibility as a leader. He loved the company. He wanted to lead the company. Ultimately the board uh, chose him to lead the company, but he felt like it was also revealing that in some way he had to take more responsibility for his own leadership journey and part of the reason he got in that position is he wanted to just play to his strengths and he did, he wasn't taking enough responsibility for the company as a whole. And so going forward, he felt like he had to rethink his whole team around him. He had to rethink how he interacted with his team. He had to rethink his own level of responsibility and integrity with the company. So there, there, he, he feels like in some ways his conscious leadership journey began then. And over the next 10 years, Whole Foods went from being like a billion-dollar company to, I think, a $15 billion company. And he, that it was the team he put around him then that really led the way. And so it's, it's an extraordinary a story because in some ways, Whole Foods has already been very successful. But in order to take that next step, in order to go from a successful startup company that had, you know, had, had some, you know, right. had grown to a billion in sales, but to go to really being a public you know, large, nationally important company and the way Whole Foods became, it required him to take that journey of conscious leadership. Well, I think it's very reflective of people that attempt to grow companies or grow separate yeah. divisions. And yeah. they, they, like in this case, he kind of, he didn't sever his ties, but he, he wasn't as close, you know, yeah. as he should have been and paying attention to what got him to where he was. And if you follow the journey of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. like that, often they'll come up against a point where it's like, oh, I've come up against my own limit. It's not just the company's limitations at this point. It's my own limitations. And if the company's going to be able to take the next step it needs to take, I have to take the next step I need to take as a leader. And so that's... Well, and entrepreneurs in general, and I I like what you just said, you know, they get to a point of, I guess the best way to put it is kind of burnout. Yeah, you know, the, true, where you too. say they take it to as maximum as they can. I know for a fact that Jeff Bezos only has 11 people that report to him. Mm-hmm. 11. Mm-hmm. So when you look at how big Amazon is and you think about the small team of 11 people that are reporting to him mm-hmm. and they all have, I think, about a half an hour a day to tell him what's going on mm-hmm. and he's either going to comment or not comment or he's just going to say, great job, whatever it is. But right. my point is, that's there. <laughs> now you and Steve are the founders of a nonprofit Institute for cultural evolution. And I mentioned that at the beginning, I wanted you to tell the listeners about the vision and purpose and why you founded this nonprofit. And obviously there's a link to this book as well in between Mm -hmm. the nonprofit Institute. So tell us a little bit more and where did they, where would they go to find out more information about it? Well, they can go to culturalevolution.org and it's the Institute for cultural evolution. And Steve and I, we met in the mid two thousands. I was working on a magazine and I ended up interviewing him during when he wrote his first book and we developed a friendship and the friendship was based in part around uh, integral philosophy or integral theory, which is a, which is a, a perspective on how culture develops and how worldviews develop and how they, how they clash and how they've developed over time. And, and kind of the as Ken we, Wilbur, the Ken Wilbur. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it, right. It's very much Ken Wilbur is very much part of that that movement and is a leader in that movement. Who was the who actually originated that whole concept? It was well, in some Ken? 
Well, it's been a number of people over the last decades who've sort of contributed to it. And Ken was instrumental in bringing a lot of those together and writing about all of them in a way that inspired, you know, thousands of people to get to get very interested in it. So Ken was kind of a critical linchpin in it, even though he was drawing on the work of other many others. Hopefully your institute has distilled his work down into something that a lot of people can understand because I know when they listen to Ken, (laughs) it can be be challenging. Hopefully we've distilled a lot of, you know, (laughs) colors and lines and levels and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but you've distilled it down into something. There's also the, the Frenchman. What is his name? He did an exceptional job. He was on my show. Um, Oh, I'm sure you'll know when I bring it up. But my point is, he took Ken's stuff and took it a little bit further. Oh, right. So good. you guys are using the integral theory. So we're in so we're using we're we're we've we've come we you know we were inspired by that movement and we felt it had tremendous uh, application to politics and in particular we felt it uh, had particular application to helping us. Uh, overcome political polarization and hyper-partisan polarization and understanding how worldviews interact and how they interact in culture, that a big part of what's driving hyper-partisanship right now in in our political sphere is not just what's happening in in Washington or in politics, is what's happening in culture. And understanding culture more deeply will help us deal with hyper-partisan polarization. So we've been exploring that and pursuing that and hosting gatherings on that. And uh, Steve just wrote a book called Developmental Politics on that subject. And uh, so that's been an important subject. And so we were presenting on that subject uh, years ago at, at to Esalen. Your your listeners will probably know what Esalen is or maybe oh, yeah. it's a retreat center on the West Coast and the really the fount of the human potential movement. In the Actually, 60s. George Leonard, who's long deceased was a guest on my show one of my early oh that's guests. so fantastic I, I, was, I was a huge fan of george i had a chance to interview him as well and, and uh, a chance- i i sat in his living room for six hours doing an interview with him he was uh, he's a fascinating was a fascinating he was a lovely man. lovely person oh, just, just just a real jewel yeah so i got to know michael murphy a bit over when i lived in california over the last seven or eight years i got to know michael some as well michael's yeah. just a wonderful person as well yeah. so well, you know, ITP was founded by George Integrative Transformative Practice and a lot of things. Yeah. My listeners know because if they follow me, they understand all this, what we're talking about. But so your institute, what so is we the were presenting vision? It, so just quickly, we were presenting a, a, the conscious business, a conscious business uh, mm-hmm. conference at Esalen where we, and John was there and that's where we initially got to know John. So that marriage of sort of new ways of thinking about business and new ways of thinking about personal growth and, and cultural evolution all came together. And in some ways, were the, in, were the original inspiration that brought us together and ultimately became, became this book. But so the, the vision of the Institute is to really try to ameliorate and to, to respond to this hyper-partisan situation we're in. So we've been hosting gatherings and conferences and writings on, on how to address it, how to overcome it, how to help, how to help, how to help you know, it, it's a, obviously it's a huge challenge. And since we started, we were saying five, six years ago, we were saying, look, the chances are this is going to get worse before it gets better. But if we start addressing it now, maybe we can have an impact on it over the next years, over the next decade. So obviously it has got worse. It has got a lot worse, but it's an issue. Well, you've got this bifurcated kind of beliefs. I mean, yeah, I, you're, exactly. look, you're never going to get all the beliefs in the same direction and nor do you want them. You nor, want nor to you have want that. you want to have differences, right? That's what I just said. You want to have dif- yeah. differences because that helps to evolve, help yeah. us all yeah. all evolve. You know, I know that uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the the show that just came out about how Facebook and Google and all these people are controlling our life, right? The social <laughs> right. social dilemma. Social I, I, I dilemma. Know tr- I know Tristan Harris. We've had discussions about that before. So my, but my point there was is the, the, the gentleman who spoke about, you know, don't just go like for like. Don't, you know, try and find things where people are different, where you're opposed and you have differences. And I think that right. is important. And yeah. I think what you guys are doing – you, you know, need to follow people. And if you're on social media, you should follow people who don't agree with you and you learn from people who don't agree with you. And what we did for, for we, we were hosting conferences on the future of the left and the future of the right. The left is not going to vanquish the right. The right's not going to vanquish the left. But what would it mean for the left to become a better version of itself? 
what would it mean for the right to become a better, less polarized version of itself? Right. Just like for a leader in conscious leadership, what would it mean for me to become a better version of what I'm capable of? I'm not going to become Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. What would it be to become a, the best version of Carter Phipps? What's that look like? What, what does that authentically look like? So it was, it was a kind of similar, similar. Well, just like in personal growth and spirituality, you know, uh, my master's is in spiritual psychology. You, you've, there's a lot of pathways to the top of the hill. Right. And it doesn't mean we all have to take the same path or all the same belief. But in the end, you know, when you really look and you kind of I've been doing a lot of um, interviews lately, one about the the lost art of dying, um, which was by Dr. Lydia Dugdale. And it's really about looking at your finitude. Mm. Right. Yeah. Everybody here, we have one thing in common. None of us is going to escape our finitude. That is something we all have in common. And so when you look at from a spiritual standpoint, which you're involved in, everything you do, you know, your background is personal growth, spirituality, and all this. If we can come together on that belief, whether we're Buddhist or we're Catholic or we're Jewish or we're whatever we are, you know, we got lots of different beliefs out there. But uh, that's one thing that we all have in common. You know, in your – huh? We're all going to share that, that those 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 final moments, either yeah, and it, or and after. It, well, and, and what's and we're going to have to reflect on our own lives in that in that context. Yeah, and, and what's interesting for me is that you know just this last year, I lost a brother last Sunday, and I lost another brother in October. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. And so you know when you start to look at life that way, you you start to see different things about. What becomes important to you, right? When you're going to stand on your soapbox and really get angry and whatever, really, is it that important, right? So, you know, in your conversations with hundreds of conscious leaders, you found nine distinguishing characteristics and behaviors that unite those leaders, all right? And I wanted you to just kind of list them. What are the characteristics and why maybe comment Why are they so important? Because, you know, at the essence of any book is a core, and I believe this is one of the cores. Obviously, you know, if you started coming from these principles, you would be more of a conscious leader. So can you comment on those? Yeah. So, I mean, we spent a long time thinking about and interviewing people and reflecting on the people, the leaders we knew and what they said. And in the end, we distilled all of that wisdom our own wisdom, their wisdom, down to these nine nine essential principles. I mean, you can call them principles or tenets. Or, and we grouped them in three different ways, and they form the backbone of the book. They form the chapters in the book. The book is nine chapters, and there's three right. chapters in what we call vision, kind of high-level vision and virtue as a leader. Then there's three chapters on mindset, what we call mindset and strategy, the, of a leader, the way you kind of approach the framework for how you approach the lead, your own leadership. And then the last is people and culture, which is how you approach one, your own development and how you approach the development of those around you. And so those, those three sections are the sort of form the, the, you know, or the, the outline of, of the book and the, and the kind of backbone of it. So, I mean, I can go through all nine if you want, but those are the, those are the kind of basics. Well, I think those are the essence. And I think for our readers, uh, obviously, then go to your website, which we're going to put a mm-hmm. link to the website. You can go to the Institute's website, and you're going to be able to get all these as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, at the core and the essence, he's broken down the three, of which there's three inside each of those three. Exactly. There's so, three and three, and it's fractal. Exactly. <laughs> now, you mentioned that for every company's purpose statement that adorns the lobby wall, because I see this a lot. Yeah, you see um, that a lot, right? There, are, there is at once an individual nurturing inner visions, like you said, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or whoever. And fumbling around with novel ideas and approaches. Now, you cite uh, Yvonne from Patagonia. That's, I always love yeah, that one because right. obviously yeah. it's a very purpose-driven company. They're trying sure. to be environmentally sound. They've yeah. got great clothing. Um, what advice do you have for a leader seeking to find their purpose in life and the bigger purpose about maybe what 
the union of the collective body of the people that are inside their company can do and the impact they can have. You know, like Tom's well, shoes. That's a great example. You know, buy one, yeah. one away. I mean, sure. but, there, yeah. but there's so many I companies. Tom, that, I got a chance to, yeah. yeah, there's so many companies, Carter, that aren't doing that. That that isn't, you know, they're not a B Corp. Okay. They're just a corporation. Yeah. There's probably way more many just corporations that are going after profit um, yeah. than there are that. I, I came up with, with a little statement here that I'll leave with you, but I want you to comment on this is what advice you have is if, if we're going to vote and here's a political commentary today, um, vote with your conscience, not your capital. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. most people are attempting to protect capital. They're attempting yeah. to protect what they have in their pocketbook. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is this election shouldn't be about that. It should be about what do you, what is your, in your conscience? Well, I hope, I hope it is. I hope, I hope. I hope people vote with their conscience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, when people go into that booth, I hope they're thinking about more than their pocketbook, even though that's not unimportant, you know? Also, it, it is important. I get it. But, you know, the question becomes, if you're going to, if you're at a tipping point in this world, global warming, all the things we're dealing with, right? Just everything sure. that we're dealing yeah. with. Yes, your pocket. Yes, you have to have your retirement plan. I get it. You got to go on. But the purpose is really the bigger driving factor well i I just you know i think for for you know when you look at founder these these iconic founders of companies uh, of which i'll include you know john Mackey among them is you know you see that history of them you know kind of like you say fumbling around and you know he was passionate about natural foods and and he was a hippie in austin living in a a vegetarian collective of people who were really interested in food and little by little he found his passion and then he began to open this, he opened a store and then it just one thing led to another, but it was by following that passion. It wasn't by following the, the normal, you know, he didn't just go get a degree and get a job and do the, do the normal things. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. If that's what you really want to do and that's what you're interested in. But, but he, he followed an unconventional path, but he followed a path that was filled with, his own interest and pursuing his own interest and pursuing the purpose he saw in that interest. And ultimately that became not only his purpose, but the purpose of a whole company and with filled with this higher purpose of natural foods and organic foods and health and well-being. And so and many companies form that. And, and the same in Patagonia, you can yeah. see that in Patagonia, right? He was interested. He didn't have the right clothes ultimately to wear to serve his own passion for the outdoors. And that, one thing led to another and his own slowly by slowly his interest, his, his, his own pursuits, his own curiosities became this, you know, purpose filled mission. And that purpose filled mission became this business filled with this higher purpose. So, so one, you know, so in terms of how you find your, your, your purpose and your own passion and, and sometimes the, it, it, the first thing is it's found through your own curiosities, your own interests and pursuing those and not allowing those just to lie there un, unexplored. And, and, and those can, that can happen in all kinds of ways. It, does, it doesn't have to happen in one particular way, but that's how, you, that's how ultimately you find it. And, and then that can, ex, that can explode into, you know, who knows where that will lead. Maybe it will lead you to, a, to a, you, maybe you'll start a company, you'll have three employees and that'll be great for, for 40 years. Maybe you'll start a company, you'll have a million employees over, over 40 years, or maybe right. something else entirely it can lead in all kinds of directions. It doesn't have to lead in one direction, but, um, but in those, in those passions and pursuits are often where you find the seeds of a life of purpose. And I think mm-hmm. that was the point of, of that. And I, I would, I would go on to say also that, even in companies that don't feel that they have any kind of higher purpose, in most companies, even if they're not aware of it, even if they're not actively uh, pursuing it or fulfilling it or bringing it out, there's often a higher purpose embedded in what they do. They're providing a service often. And sometimes if they, if they discover and look and see, oh, there is a higher purpose embedded in the, in the activity we do, then that higher purpose becomes more and more important in the company. So profit will still be important, but then purpose also becomes important. And when we have that balance, 
that when that polarity between purpose and profit is active, that's great. You have the profit and that's so important in the company. You need that profit to grow and to fulfill the mission. You have purpose as well. And that's that, that beautiful balance. Well, and they do harmonize quite well together all usually all the time. Now that leads me to this next question. And in your section on the conscious leaders toolkit, you speak about polarities. We're just talking about polarities of parties. Um, yeah, uh, such exactly. as the, the critical, polarity. yeah, positive, positive polarity that relates to purpose uh, is real and ideal. Can you explain the concept of these polarities real quick? I think because you were you use this in there, and it's an important point you're making in the book. Yeah. And I think you've discussed it a little bit about That's the right. institute. But maybe give a little more clarity to the listeners about yeah. The- well, polarity. The idea of something called polarity management has become a kind of a popular management approach, but it really goes deeper than that. It's it's de- it's a it's a it's a concept that applies to life itself in some sense. But but the idea, the fundamental idea is there are certain types of polarities that are what we might call win lose polarities or or good bad polarities. You know, uh, something like poverty and wealth. We want wealth. We don't want poverty. You know, it's like good and evil. You know, those are, those are, something's good. Something's not good. But then there are a lot of other polarities in the world where one is not good and one is not bad. They're both, they're positive, positive. They're not positive, negative. So an example of that is profit and purpose Mm -hmm. or the one I like to use in the the book or often I I wrote about in evolutionaries is comp. It's a very powerful one. It's competition and cooperation. So you really need both. I often say what made the Beatles the best band, one of the best rock bands in history is because they were cooperating at an extraordinarily high level as any band has to do to be great. But they were also competing. You know, John was competing with Paul, you know, and they were, and they each wanted to outdo each other and each wanted to write a better song and they each wanted to. And so there was that also that, that tension of, of competition. And so if you just have cooperation, in a business or or in any kind of collective or anyone then then it can it can get a little stale and you can lose some of that that the spirit and innovative and creative spirit that competition also brings so that balance of competition and cooperation is really important likewise if you just have competition and and, and a business or a group descends into some kind of dog eat dog kind of just competitive dynamic and you're not cooperating no organization no business can succeed in that context right, right. you need that balance of the fire of competition and the and the and the kind of the 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 power of cooperation at, you need both and so a polarities are recognizing you need both another polarity a good one is support and challenge you know with your team members in a, in a business you need to support them. You need to also challenge them to rise up. If you mm-hmm. only support them or like, you know, raising kids, you need to challenge them. You want them to become who they are. You want them to become the best of who they are. And you, you, but you do that through support and challenge. If it's all support or all challenge, things can go off the rails. So, so polarities are a very important idea for understanding how these, uh, how they, how they function in, in a business. And, you know, the, 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 we talk about the real, that's the real and ideal or purpose and profit. So there's a number of different polarities we address in the book and it's a, it's a critical idea. But I think even in an ecosystem to get to this homeostasis, if you looked at it from a scientific viewpoint, even, you know, it's like, Hey, we're, we're all trying to kind of reach this homeostasis. We know within inside of us, you know, people talk about cancer, all the cancer researchers are trying to target the cell that's creating the problem. Right. And, and it's true, we're made up of both of these. We're made up of good cells, and it's whether or not the others get activated in our body, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also about activation when you look at um, what you're doing at the Institute and these pl- polarities of political activation. Right. Yeah. You know, what actually activates somebody to want to take either a positive or a negative action. I mean, we saw the negative through the riots and the positive would have been if we'd come together and had, you know, civil discussions before all that occurred uh, to make that happen. But sometimes that pain, uh, that darkness has to occur to come to the light from a spiritual standpoint. So you you mentioned you want to like stasis and change stasis and dynamism, right? Is another 
positive, positive yeah. polarity. If it's all stasis, there's no dynamism, no change, no development, no evolution. Exactly. But it's, if it's all change, all just disruption and change, then, then there's no, there's no bad, there's nothing, you know, then it's you, very then hard to get your hands around because exactly you, you lose you know, control look, and it just, it goes off that's, the rails. That's part of what's going on right now in our world with the COVID and the pandemic is you know, people who are resisting this are finding it the most difficult to deal with. And you, you can't resist this. It is what it is. And what you've got to do is you've got to learn to deal with it in the best way possible. And I find that the restaurants that have adapted to that are the ones that are succeeding, even the smaller ones, the real right. small ones, the big ones, of course, but the real small ones. Yeah, they're and innovating, right? They're, they're innovating, yeah. That's they're one of saying, our principles hey, in the book, right? You innovate... Right. And create value. Right? That's right. They're doing it. They're still doing it, right? So you mentioned that you want to bring love out of the corporation closet. Now, uh, you know, if you look at Southwest Airlines and you go back to the days of, you know, me watching the videos about, um, I'm trying to remember his name, the, the founder. I can see his picture. Herb. He Herb, 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 Herb Kelleher. Herb, Kelleher. Kelleher. He used to spread love everywhere and gave right. exactly. M&Ms. And it, but it was great because it was a great yeah. piece when you were looking at cultural work. You know, yeah. that airline today, even in this, despite the, this is, is starting to thrive again, you yeah. know, and it's because of the culture that was created. Now, if you want to be conscious leaders who skillfully practice this powerful human yeah. virtue, yeah. what advice would you give to a leader to be more aware of the virtue and how to express it within an organization? And we're talking yeah. about the word love, now, right? So yeah. in many corporations, they don't use that word light. It's not, it's, not, it's not an everyday word. They don't want to use it, right? <laughs> and so what I'm saying to you is how do you get them to bridge this and use that word love? Well, I think that chapter, a big part of that chapter is about looking at the kinds of metaphors, how we think about business, how we – and sometimes the way we think about something will define the – the, the possibility space in which we're acting, right? So, yeah. so for lack of a better word. So if we think about business as just this competitive, you know, Darwinian game of, game of Thrones, you know, where everyone's trying to get on top. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to, you know, become, you know, we talk about, you know, you sit on the game, you sit on the Iron Throne or you die, you know, kind of thing. Everyone's trying to get on top. Everyone's trying to knock the other person off. It's just doggy. It's just Darwinian. It's pure if that's how we think about, if we it, even subtly, even if that's how we're thinking about the business world uh, as a pure those pure competitive games, then I, I, that is uh, that that's going to lead us. It's going to limit how we act. It's going to limit our capacity to bring our full selves to work be, be, to to express all those important softer skills. It's to, mm-hmm. to express appreciation and gratitude and all those aspects of love that are also important. It doesn't mean there's no competition or no striving to win and to be the best. That's, that's fine. But we want to make room for these other parts of what it means. And so we talk in, the, in that chapter about appreciation, about gratitude, about compassion, about other ways of expressing ourselves in a business context that are also critical. And, and, under, and, and we suggest a new metaphor for business as, as not a, a Darwinian battleground, but as a community of stakeholders, you yeah. know, uh, and maybe that's a, and how do we think about our business and how we're treating all of those stakeholders? When we think about the business as that, a kind of a community like that, how's that, how do we, how do we act in a community? Well, we act in a very different way than we act in a battlefield or in a, in a, just in a, in a game of survival. So that's just, it's really important. And I think we talk about how to reframe your own thinking around what a business is. So important, and obviously the points you make in the book are, are so imperative if the collective consciousness and individual consciousnesses are to shift to have more love, have more compassion, have more understanding, have more inclusion. Um, you know, I think one of the bigger ways to make that happen is including the workforce, the people that are working with you in it. And I think a lot of CEOs still need to awaken to that. And you tell this great story about uh, in, in this chapter, always act with integrity. You tell a story about Ramon. Is it Mindaloa? I think it's Mindiola. Mindiola. CEO of Florida ice and farm company. Yeah. Okay. 
And I, I thought it was good. Can you tell the story and the stakeholder that wanted him to look at the triple bottom line, right? Because you've talked about purpose and passion, but there's another one, right? So it's triple bottom line. Yeah, so here's the opportunity it. to yeah. slide that in there and actually <laughs> talk about uh, what happened here with this CEO. Well, he, this is a beautiful story of the CEO of a, of a very well-known Costa Rican beverage company. Uh, beer company. I think they've expanded into a lot of other areas. But he was challenged uh, when, by one of his uh, employees or by, about, about this idea of a triple bottom line, the idea that we need to take care of profits, but also the people and the planet as well. And it really started for him, initiated a journey of conscious leadership, essentially, and, and of like, what does it mean to have integrity in my business with all the stakeholders and because he's in Costa Rica and a very different, uh, different kind of society there and that, you know, really understanding what it, what, what does it mean to have a very successful business in the context of this community mm-hmm. of stakeholders mm-hmm. and, and it led him on a journey to do extraordinary things with the business. And he, 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 uh, he changed the re- way they related to their team members in the business. He changed the way they related to the environment. They, they, I, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but they, they went on a journey where they, they, uh, that, that was a challenge at first. I mean, when he wanted to make these changes, so they reached these environmental targets. And so they paid people, you know, through, by looking at, all of this triple bottom line. They actually made sure that people's compensation was, was tied, tied to how to well they met, not just profit targets, but how well they met these other targets, right? Their and, metrics you know, were those three targets. Those, exactly, those three right. targets. And the, and the board balked at a certain point, and he had to go through some, some battles to actually succeed at doing this. But once he won those battles and he got the board behind him, then little by little, the company began to transform, and it still became, it was very successful but it also is having a more and more of a positive impact on the people who work for the company and on their environmental footprint dramatically improved. Mm-hmm. And the company over the last 10 years has grown and grown as he's done all this. And now it's like held up as an example of this very a virtuous, very powerful, very uh, real example of, the, of a great company in Costa Rica. And now all the stakeholders are really behind him. And uh, I mean, they've just, and they've continued to develop and he, he continues to have, integrity with all of of the stakeholders that they have in that company and you know they have that he recognized at a certain point they had too much poverty in, in by employees of the company so they instituted all these financial literacy programs to help raise people up and help 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 them understand and 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 how to deal with their own with money finances in more profound and ways and finances yeah. and it's just i mean it's just it's one thing after another and if you follow that story it's very inspiring because through it all the company only became more and more successful but he was also able to do all these other things. And now it's held, held up as a real a flagship of Costa Rica. So it's a, it's a powerful story about what it means to have integrity. And I like when I think about integrity, I think about integrity. Part of what integrity means is wholeness. So how do you wholeness means I don't just have integrity with this person or this group or this customer. I have integrity I'm with all of my stakeholders. There's a wholeness in the way I'm approaching a business. All the people who are being impacted by the business there's a kind of integrity with all of those. I'm having a good impact on all of those, my customers, my suppliers, my community, my stakeholders, my team members, my executives, my shareholders, all of it. Well, and I think probably one of the most important things is your integritousness to yourself. Yeah, um, you absolutely. Know, whatever values you hold, right? And I think that's where the shift has to occur in the mindsets of the individuals is the shift of those values. You know, you can adopt and change values along the way. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. what was driving you before was harming the environment or harming people beneath you, you can make that shift to be a more compassionate leader to look at those areas and do this. And this was a perfect example in the book. It's a beautiful Somebody, example. He he's on this, fire with it. I mean, when you talk right. to him, he's like, I mean, he's, he's evangelical about it. I yeah, mean, but, he, but he powerful. had to sell it. My point is he had to yeah, sell it. He had to, to sell it. He had to prove it and sell it, right. convince people. He had to Because he may have actually seen a little bit of dip in profits before he got this done on the other yeah. side. So that's Yeah, there. sometimes in the short term, that's why one of the – 
one of the important principles of the book is think long-term. That's another yeah. chapter. And that's why, because sometimes in the short term, you have to, you have to garden for the long-term for yeah, the, exactly. for the enriching of the company of the long-term. And sometimes th- those are some of those other metrics aren't always going to show up on the bottom line in the short term. So true. Now, Carter, if you were going to leave the listeners with anything regarding evolving into conscious leaders, what would you have them take action on both for themselves and for the organizations that they're running? I think that I always like to give people actionable steps they can take. That's what makes these podcasts valuable. And obviously, they can go out and buy the book, but they also can listen to what you have to say about what are the actions that you and the two other authors most likely do every day to make the lives of others better, themselves better, and the world better? Well, I, I think the the two things I would leave the listener with are really the two last chapters of the book, which have to do with, which was where we left the, the readers with as well, which have to do with two principles which I think are critical to how we, you and I, and individuals go about this. One is the second to last chapter, which is called Regularly Revitalize, which is, I think, in this world, in this crazy, busy world that we live in, we are appreciating more and more the power of revitalization, of taking time off so you can be more effective, so you can be more creative. You know, the power of stopping so you can go faster. You know, it's like that balance between quiescence and engagement, you know, between. And I think, you know, whether it's sleep, whether it's meditation, whether it's taking a walk in nature, whether it's taking time for oneself, whether it's you know, what, whatever it is for you that allows you to deeply revitalize the importance of that for being our engaged, involved selves is so critical. So that's one piece. The second piece is the last. I I could actually add to that just to sum it up. I used to teach a course and it was called never mind the noise. And the reality is there's so much noise out there, you know, in the world that you can get caught into. You have to choose the, um, I always tell people, Carter, if you had fine-tuned radio, and yeah. in, in one sense it's your ego, and the other sense it's your soul. If you're going to fine-tune to the station you want to listen to, you want to fine-tune to what the soul is trying to tell you. And most of the time, the soul will be telling you, or you'll be mm-hmm. spoken to about intuitively, mm-hmm. hey, I ought to take a little more time off. Mm-hmm. But the ego is going to always tell you, well, you're not enough. You need to turn yeah. it up, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it is this this symbiotic relationship between these two yeah. to say, hey, don't listen to all that noise all the time. Yeah. You know, tone it down mm-hmm. so you can be more effective and more focused. Yeah. You know, I've never seen a time in history where people are so scattered. Yeah. There's just, yeah. They're just, they're, they're just everywhere. Yeah. So that's a good point. What's your next yeah, action? That is just, it's so important. You can't say yeah. enough about it. Yeah. So the last, the last piece is the last chapter, which is this continuously learn and grow. And I know that sounds maybe just like something you read on a, on a fortune cookie or something. Maybe it sounds tried or something, but it's so important just to appreciate like we have the opportunity in this era in a way, maybe that we've never had. We live longer and we also understand something about human development that we didn't understand as, as deeply 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and certainly not two or 300 years ago, which is that humans have the capacity to de- continue to de- develop and grow throughout their adult lives. The brain is plastic. It has the ability to create new neurons, to learn in new ways. Psychologists have realized that we have the capacity to reach new vistas of uh, new horizons of learning and growth. And whether, however you look at it, that capacity to learn and grow is, is extraordinary and, and taking up that journey oneself. And it may be as simple as, you know, reading, reading a book every so often, resitting that, taking the time to read book, to learn a new skill, maybe learn Mm -hmm. a new skill there. It can be, it can be simple and new and, and very simple, but it can also be profound. 
you know, it can be, that's why there's aspects of learning, just learning new things, new skills, new, new, new ideas, but there's growth as well. Human growth, reaching new vistas, new horizons of development. Now what growth looks like for any of us, that's a more profound question, but where it begins is taking up that journey of learning that lifelong journey of learning and growth. And so taking up that journey is everything. And that journey, may, we don't know where it's going to lead us, right? And it's going to lead us in un, to surprising, un, un, excuse me, and unexpected places. But taking up that journey is the essential. It's 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 sort of uh, essential to to any kind of great leadership. Yeah, and I, I'd add, I just did an interview with uh, Professor Robert Hess. I think uh, it was Georgetown University or Duke, and his book is called Hyper Learning. And I think that the point we're at today is, even though we're very the plasticity is there, our ability to actually um, learn more faster and to be, as we say, look, because machine learning is outpacing us anyway. So we need to add the things that you'd speak about in this book to, uh, to the mix, because the reality is um, compassion, integrity, yeah. Machine learning doesn't learn that. AI isn't going to learn that. But what? It's not just what we learn, right? It's how we learn too. Correct. It's, the, it's how it's it's developing that part of us that can learn. That it's not just it's not just the acquisition of new knowledge. But if you're going to be vital into the future, I'm going to yeah. tell my listeners this is the way to remain vital and important to your company. Not the fact that you know you can. Uh, don't get me wrong, that you can do an Excel spreadsheet. But the reality is skills <laughs> right. are important. And Cal Computers Newport are going to do say, that more and more, right? They, they already are doing that, and we're seeing that. And I think what's important is what are the human skills, the spiritual skills, the leadership skills that you can yeah. bring to the table? And we and talk about spirituality. Point. We talk yeah. about spirituality. We talk about how to think about it. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's so well and so it's so, so important for them. Now, for my listeners, if you want to learn more, Go to Carter Phipps, and that's C-A-R-T-E-R-P-H-I-P-P-S dot com. Uh, that's one place. He also has a podcast at carterphipps.com forward cast podcast. You can get that at the same location. So you can learn more about uh, his, his uh, podcast there as well. And what is the Institute's, I think you said it once, but I want you to repeat it again. We're going to put a link in our blog to it. Great. Uh, it's culturalevolution.org. Culturalevolution.org. And at any of these sites, you're going to see the book, and we're going to put a link to Amazon. So you're all going to be able to uh, get the book. Is there a download or anything that's uh, free that you're offering to the listeners? Uh, yes, you, you, can, have- you, can come to the, you can come to my website, and you'll find a download there. for the, you, can look, you can read the introduction, which okay. tells also the story of Whole Foods that we talked about earlier with John. Okay. And you, so you can read the introduction and see if you're see if it's something you're interested in. So you can get a download there on my website. Great. Well, Carter, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth again. We'll have to not go six years in between <laughs> yes, podcasts. Right, provided great, you great. provided you write another book between now and then. Thanks <laughs> for being challenge, on. And, challenge and accepted. Thanks for uh, hanging in there with me. All right. Take care. Namaste so much for to you. Me on. Take right, care. You too.